This reading comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 42. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You may be seated. And uh, as we're seated, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that your word uh, would impact us today. That we would see, Jesus, how you speak a powerful word with authority, and you bring the beautiful fulfillment of what this means for us in our lives. Would you bear much fruit in this word today? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, Christ City. Pretty good, pretty good. As many of you know, uh, my name is Dave. I am the associate pastor here at Christ City, South Vancouver. And you may remember me from such times as I always give the announcements. So that's... (laughs) But today, indeed, it is my joy to bring you God's Word uh, in this Sermon on the Mount series that we are in. And if you remember the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon that was ever preached by the greatest preacher Whoever preached Jesus. And so we get to explore a bit of this sermon today. We've looked already over the last weeks, many, many weeks ago, we looked at the Beatitudes, those blessed are statements of true human flourishing. Look at that in a bit. We've considered the extraordinary claim that Jesus has come to fulfill the law and the prophets. And now, We're in a part of our series where we're looking at these six incredible, you have heard that it was said, messages of Jesus, where Jesus transforms kind of an inadequate application of God's word with great authority and clarity. And you may remember how Jesus gets to the heart, right in the heart of the commands, perhaps like with anger or lust or divorce. We've looked at those. And it's no different as we come And consider the issue of justice today. Uh, We're going to look at our passage in three parts. Uh, First, the the problem of injustice. What's the problem? What's so bad about it? What's the problem of injustice here? And the second point is going to be that Jesus drawing us in to the true heart of the passage. And here's the spoiler. It's mercy, grace, and love. Mercy, grace, and love. We're going to look at that. And then, thirdly, we're going to look, how do we live out of this transformed heart of mercy, grace, and love. And Jesus gives these amazing illustrations, these four illustrations. We'll look at those. How do we live this out? So starting first with the problem of injustice. Well, when we listen to our passage, which you just did, the problem of of this passage isn't just kind of a wrong sense of justice. We're a little, oh, just a little bit off there. Or an inability for us to do the right thing externally. Those may be true, but Jesus gives a corrective. He corrects us in a way that shows the heart of the problem. And, of course, the heart of the problem is the heart. Verse 38 of our passage. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, Jesus is calling our attention to retribution, vengeance, getting back at someone, getting what they deserve. Now, this scripture can be found in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. Very similar, right? 
And we're going to look at a few moments at how Jesus shines the light on this and what it means. But to start, we need to get under. We need to get under what Jesus says when he says, but I say to you. Jesus is correcting the heart, the the self-serving heart, the vengeful heart, the heart that makes its own rules of what is fair and unfair. The heart that always kind of claims, I'm I'm kind of the, the victim here, and it never looks in the mirror. The heart that is all about me. Now, this has been the heart of sin from the beginning. Uh, if we look at Genesis chapter 3, and I find this a little bit funny. It's not funny because it's sin and all it's a fall, but it, there's, there's kind of almost humor to it. So Adam and Eve, they've just disobeyed God, right? They've just turned away from the living God in his glory and his beauty and all the beautiful things that he's given them, right? And, and the Lord God speaks to them. Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? So that's obvious. He knows that. The man said, the woman whom you gave to, to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. It's the woman, the woman you gave me, right? It's it's like, Adam, what? You clearly ate, right? And then the woman's like, no, it's the serpent's fault. The serpent deceived me, right? It's always blaming the other. Now, it's not really funny, but it's, it's sort of only funny. Like, that's how my heart works too. These are our spiritual parents. And without Jesus, we have that same heart as Adam. Now, I had, uh, had lunch with my godson, my 16-year-old godson, uh, a couple of days ago. And we were talking to his friend who had just had her wisdom teeth taken out. And I don't know if you've ever had that experience, wisdom teeth taken out. They used to give you some medication, right? Um, and so there's a tendency when on that medication, you're a little bit silly, right? Okay, just, just you know. Okay, so he was asking her, like, what happens? And she's like, well, I didn't feel any pain. But, you know, I was kind of just talking. And I, I, didn't, I didn't really have any filter. And my 16-year-old godson, who doesn't really have much of a filter already, he looks at her and he looks at me and goes, oh, that would not be good. <laughs> and I think that's all of us. If we lost the filter on our heart, we would kind of know that our heart is always for ourselves. It's always looking for me, and I'm always the, the, the victim of the, of the problem. It's always the other. Now, if you need a little more convincing, some of you won't be convinced by this, but why is it that movies that we love to watch have like, like a guy's dog gets killed and maybe his car gets scratched and then he goes and kills everybody and we're like, yeah, that, that's the kind of movie. Now, it's not just that movie, but that's the kind of movie that we love. I just don't, I have no idea what movie that is. I've never seen it. <laughs> right? Why is it? that we kind of have this, it's always about how we feel. Um, Here's a little illustration. Um, I used to live really close to uh, a park. And and in the park, there was a dog park, and then there was a field, okay? There's the dog park, which was like, dogs can go here. The sign was like, dog, you can have there. And here's like your own little doggy drink thing. And it was great, right? Dogs could be there. And then on the field, it was like, this is for humans. No dogs allowed, right? You've, You've seen this, right? You've seen this. So you've got the dog park, and then you've got the human part, right? Why is it that there's always some person who's on the field? Why? I don't know. It's like they're just throwing the thing. The dog's like tearing it up, right? And maybe doing their business on the field. You're like, why is it? Why is it? There's always someone over there. Now, my, my point is this. What's your response? What's your reaction to that? Is it, is it that you're like, 
Well, what are they doing? There's a dog park right there. That's the rule. They should go there. They should have their dog there. They should not be there. You know what? I hope a policeman jumps out and gives them a million-dollar fine, right? Maybe that's your tendency, right? Maybe that's your tendency. Or maybe you're more like, well, it's not really hurting anybody. The dog's having fun, right? Everybody, it's, it's cool, you know? They're just having—the park is huge. There's no one there, no kids for the dog to run over. It's okay, Right? What is your tendency? Usually it's like one or the other. It's kind of like this kind of legal thing or this kind of permissive thing, right? Um, I'm just going to be confessing here. Mine's totally the legal thing. I'm like, how dare they? I wish they got fine. <laughs> That's me, right? Jesus right here is actually speaking in to a culture that's very similar to our hearts right now. On the one hand, in Jesus' day, you had the Pharisees who would tend towards that legal plus, right? Okay, not only can you not carry your mat on a Sunday, Saturday really, on, on the Sabbath, right? But, oh, heaven forbid if you're healed on the, in the Sabbath, heaven forbid, cannot, cannot, kind of adding, adding to the, the law. Or maybe you're like, eye for an eye. And the Sadducees are kind of thinking, well, eye for an eye, that sounds a little bit much. How about like, pay a little fine, you know, just a little something, you know, instead of an eye for eye, maybe a couple of bucks, maybe a buck and a half for an ear. I don't know. It's just a little something, right? So you've got this legalism on one side and a permissiveness on the other. Maybe you can kind of go, I fit somewhere in there. And what Jesus is saying is both legalism and permissiveness are missing the point of God's commands. It's missing the heart. So we move to point two. What is the heart of this passage? And I said, spoiler alert, it is mercy, grace, and love. It's mercy, grace, and love. Let's trace this back a little bit to what I've already talked about, the Beatitudes and Jesus' fulfillment. So we've looked at the Beatitudes a number of weeks ago. Blessed are. These are the establishment of the characteristics of the Christian disciple. It's the building of the Christian disciple. Each step builds a truly flourishing life with God. You and I are made more and more and more into the likeness of Jesus. Those Beatitudes are glorious, aren't they? Let me just read them for us. Starting at verse 3 in chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Humble, repentant, grieving sin, powerfully gentle, longing to do what is truly right, full of mercy, a clarity of hearts toward God, full of gospel peace and assurance, yet also persecuted, resisted, insulted, subject to much evil. Formed as disciples to be like Jesus with a new heart of flourishing love. Keep that in the back of your mind as we come to our passage today. Now trace back also what Jesus says, how he fulfills the law. This rule of life for God's people, the law and the prophets. 
Jesus says in verse 17 of chapter 5, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus has come not to abolish. In other words, he's come to establish the power, truth, eternal nature of God's enduring word. And Jesus has come to fulfill. He has come as the Messiah to bring the fullness of the intended meaning of the word. Uh, John Stott, uh, we'll look at a quote from him in a second. I just can't help but say this. John Stott is, is kind of one of my heroes. Anyways, I love him. He loves birding and stuff. I, one time I met him, and I was like, I was so excited. I was like, oh, I want to talk to him about all these things. And all he wanted to do was at the time he was working on this beautiful ministry to bring the gospel to pastors who didn't yet have theological education. And he wanted to see them grow in their, their faith and love and, and serving of Jesus in like deeply theological ways. So just so you know, uh, he didn't talk much to me. He was just kind of talking about that. But John Stott, he says this. He, Jesus, rejects the superficial interpretation of the law given by the scribes. He himself supplies the true interpretation. His purpose is not to change the law, still less to annul it, but to reveal the full depth of meaning that was, it was intended to hold. Jesus, the King, the Messiah, the Lord, the Son of God. He is the one, John's Gospel says, the Word made flesh. The one in Colossians, who is the perfect image of God. All things were created through Him and for Him. Jesus is the authority to bring the fullness of the rule of God. Now, this, here's a fun story just to kind of illustrate this. Probably... Uh, it was a little bit of a, once again, a confession. Okay, so when I was younger, uh, my brother and I uh, loved to bounce on my parents' bed. Just love, it was like the greatest thing ever. I don't know why it was the greatest thing, but there was a rule. And of course, the rule was don't bounce on the bed. You know, this is going, right? So my brother and I were like, okay, that's the rule. So we bounced on the bed. Now, at first, there wasn't much of a consequence because no one knew we were bouncing on the bed, right? We were just bouncing, bouncing, right? So it's fine. No problem. Until, until my brother had to get stitches. Until I got a sliver the size of like a pencil in my foot. So clearly we were breaking the rules, right? Clearly we were breaking the rules. My parents were like, stop jumping on the bed, you little monkeys, right? Stop it. Stop it, right? So we, we bounced on the bed. <laughs> we still did, right? Until we broke the bed. We actually broke the bed. And not only that, we broke the ceiling below the bed, and there's this giant crack that went across. So it cost a massive amount of money, and we got into a huge amount of trouble. Now, you see, my brother and I, these young kids, we did not have the ability to interpret the rule. We just knew there was a rule, and we kind of wanted to break it. But my parents, at the heart of it, they were like, we don't want you to hurt yourself or break our stuff, right? They knew what was at the heart. Just, just like that, Jesus in a greater way, very much so. Jesus knows the heart of the rule and has the authority to interpret it. So, what does it actually say? What, what does our passage actually say then? Let's look at it together. Starting at verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. 
If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. At the heart of it, at the heart of it, it's personal. At the heart of it is the mercy, grace, and love of God. It's personal. Jesus says, I say to you, but I say to you, it's not just about your outward behavior and your acts of righteousness. No. The heart of the law comes from the heart of the lawgiver, and the heart of the lawgiver is revealed in the face of Jesus, revealed in him himself. I say to you, what you have heard from others, from the culture around you, from experience, is deeply flawed. I want to speak life to you, a fullness of the intention of God's word. I like what D.A. Carson says here. Personal self-sacrifice displaces personal retaliation, for this is the Savior, this is the way the Savior himself went, the way of the cross. And the way of the cross, not notions of right and wrong, is the Christian's principle of conduct. At the cross, this passage of justice and doing what is right and restraint and mercy makes perfect sense. At the heart of this message is mercy, grace, and love. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, Jesus is saying, justice is absolutely necessary. But I say to you, the heart of God is mercy, grace, and love. Jesus fulfills the law, revealing the full depth of its meaning. And now let's look at the very personal and very challenging and very beautiful illustrations that Jesus gives. These four illustrations. This is our third point. The heart of this passage, as I've said before, is mercy, grace, and love. But it's mercy, grace, and love for the other. Mercy, grace, and love for the other. We've already looked at the human heart that tends towards vengeance and retribution and its own opinions and feelings of what is justice and fair. In our third point, we're going to look at these four illustrations. So we're going to look at an illustration, and we're going to see how Jesus speaks into the situation, how Jesus speaks into the situation. And we're going to look at the illustration and look how Jesus has lived out this mercy, grace, and love. And then we're going to look at this illustration and see how do we live this kingdom vision of mercy, grace, and love. So that's what we're going we're to do with this last section. So the first illustration Verse 38, you have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. So what's going on here? Jesus is drawing from Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. They're all very similar passages. Exodus 21 says this, but if there's harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Justice is so important. There is a cost to hurting, sinning against someone, and Jesus is upholding that reality. Remember, he has come not to abolish, but to fulfill. Jesus is speaking here 
a double mercy. The first mercy, so not only was the intention of the law to limit retribution, to, to stop personal vengeance. So you hurt me, well, I'm going to go and hurt you and your whole family, right? Jesus is saying no very clearly to this. And some of you may look at the news and it seems that there's parts of the world that this is very much the reality. Something happens and someone is hurt and then it kind of explodes in this kind of merciless vengeance. Now the second mercy, the second mercy, Jesus is reminding us that as Christians, evil will come against us. He said that before. Jesus has already said that it will be all kinds of slander and evil and persecution for Christians. All sorts of resistance for you. And it is evil. But not only do not retaliate, no vengeance, none of your own justice, but instead, mercy. Instead, mercy. The illustration is the, the backward slap of the face. And it would be pretty much the same in Jesus' days it is now. It's insulting. It's ugly treatment. It's, it's of that who is someone who is inferior, someone you think is a fool or a slave or even a child. The loving mercy of Jesus means that we take the insult and do not return the slap. Romans 12 reminds us, Repay no one evil for evil, but get thought to, to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We are to be people of mercy, not vengeance. We are to be people of love and peace. We are to remember that it is God who judges, not us. Vengeance is His, not ours. Instead, we're to apply good, apply mercy, grace, and love. How is it that, that Jesus Himself brings this illustration to life. Let's glimpse at Jesus in Matthew 26, just a, a number of chapters after this. Just before his crucifixion, Jesus is before the high priest. Verse 63, But Jesus remained silent, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so. But I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, He deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him. And some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is it that struck you? They spit in his face and struck him. Now Jesus, to, for a kind of modern kind of uh, phrase, he could have rained fire down on them. He could have destroyed them very easily. But yet with extraordinary mercy and grace and love, he withheld retribution 
vengeance and judgment. He withheld it. How will you respond when you are insulted for our faith? Will you argue with anger? When you are joked at and insulted, how will you respond? When people take advantage of your kindness, how will you respond? When Twitter rages or other social media seem to shame and bury people, how will you respond? I like what Scott McKnight says. Jesus' examples reveal that do not resist is as much a positive action of love as it is a negative posture. It could be translated, be ready for an act of grace. Jesus is calling you and me to be ready for an act of grace. Not so that you and I look more righteous, but like Jesus, for the love of the other, that they may see and know their Savior and believe and trust in Him. Our second illustration. Verse 40, If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. What's going on here? It's kind of a courtroom setting, isn't it? Basic clothing is being taken, being sued for. Again, Jesus doubles the mercy, grace, and love. Give them more. Double the action. Show them more favor. Give them not only your basic clothing, your possession. Give until you feel it. The cost, sorry, the, the coat or the cloak, it's kind of a picture of, of something that it, it, that's even protected in God's Word. It's, it's what was often slept in, kept the people warm. It was necessary. In this double grace, release, and release again. In doing so, we are left embarrassingly weakened and vulnerable and without our stuff. How do we see Jesus in this? Matthew 27, verse 35, reminds us that at the cross, Jesus was stripped and laid bare. Verse 35, when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. He gave up all his possessions and dignity for you at the cross. Crucified naked for you, humbled for you, poured out for you. How will you respond? When we lose, whether it's possessions or some game or in athletics or a promotion or in relationship, do we still harbor anger and unforgiveness and bitterness towards our loss? Do we say deeply, secretly in the back of our minds, I'll get back at them. I will take them down. They were wrong, and I'm going to show them. How do you respond? Will you give your tunic and cloak for a robe of righteousness when Jesus comes again? Are you ready for an act of grace? Are you ready to forgive? Are you actually ready to lose? And it's not so you'll look more righteous but like Jesus, for the love of the other, that they may see and know Jesus, is your heart for their salvation. The third illustration, walking the extra mile. Verse 41. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Well, what's going on here? This is an example from Jesus' day. 
the, the Roman soldiers could conscript or force anyone to carry their stuff for a mile. Basically, it was to act like their slave or servant. They're kind of like the master. Again, mercy, grace, and love is at the heart of this illustration. Again, a double love and mercy. Not only go with them for one mile, go two miles. But not complaining or hating or plotting vengeance. Well, they made me do this. I'll go, but I'll do it grudgingly. No. Does this not remind you of the story of Jesus carrying his cross? Or even Jesus carrying his cross until he could carry it no further. And Simon of Cyrene was forced to carry it, those final steps. Matthew 27, 32. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. Your Lord and Savior Jesus came as a man and served you on that brutal cross. But he endured that cross, scorning its shame for you. His life was the long walk without complaint or bitterness. Only beautiful obedience out of mercy, grace, and love. How will you respond? Who do you need to walk a mile with? And then another. Do you need to come to Alpha and bring a friend? Maybe someone is a little bit hard. And not only come to this Alpha, but come to the next one as well. Where have you seen this walking the extra mile with this great burden, but with great joy? Uh, since I've become involved in the foster care system for the last a year, um, I've seen this over and over and over again, where people are willing to walk not just the mile without complaining, without getting thanked at all, but walking the extra mile as well. Uh, this week I met with a guy who is an emergency care worker. And basically, you have to kind of give up your whole life. You can get called in the middle of the night. There's a call. There's someone coming. They come into your home. And sometimes it's just for a moment, for uh, overnight. Sometimes it's a little longer. But they come into your home. Clean. Sometimes they clean the blood off the kids. And they have a safe home to stay. That's going the mile. And then in that home, showing care and love and concern, going the extra mile. And even taking care of that kid as they head out the door, often with no thanks. That blew me away this week. Are you ready for an act of grace? Now, the fourth and final illustrations kind of go together. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. It's not so much, what can you give to me? And why would I give to you if I can't expect a fair return? That's kind of the mindset that Jesus is speaking into. And that's kind of my mindset. In Jesus' day, like ours, those who have much often look down on those who do not. And God's heart is for the least and the lost. Over and over again, whether it's a lost sheep or whether it's a prodigal son, God's heart is for the lost. I love it. In our young adults meeting, the last meeting we had, 
uh, we invited a wonderful group of people to speak into the question, how do we love those on the margins as Jesus does? And we were reminded that God has made each of us in his image, to be his image bearers. And often when we, we treat others with disrespect or ignore them, we dehumanize them. We dehumanize the ones made in the very image of God. But we are reminded that God gives this preferential treatment to those who are in need. And we can be like Jesus. We can love them like Jesus. We can love them as we love Jesus. Can we see those who are in need and truly listen to them? And even become their friends. What do we see Jesus doing, illustrating this for us? We get an incredible picture here of a double love and charity. Yes, we're called personally to be wise and generous and not arbitrary or foolish, but wise and thoughtful to give, not expecting in return we can, what we can get out of it, to see the one in need and thoughtfully and graciously with them, think about how to borrow and pay back, but not with an expectation of profit. But the ultimate picture of mercy and grace with the generosity of giving is Jesus himself, isn't it? The Apostle Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by you, by his poverty, might become rich. Jesus on the cross saves the one who asks and begs for his forgiveness. We are the ones who can never repay Jesus for this gracious gift, this gift of love and mercy. And it means yours and my forgiveness. Jesus became homeless that you may have a heavenly home. Jesus poured out his infinitely valuable life to death that you may be purchased from sin and death and in eternity in hell. You are redeemed. If you trust in Jesus, this is what he ultimately says to you in Revelation 21. These are beautiful words. Verse 5. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. It is done. It is finished on the cross. And you and I are invited to the water of life without payment. How will you respond? Give to the one who asks. Yes, wisely and thoughtfully. Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. I think this looks like a hospitality of giving. Not only money or funds or means, but personally as Jesus shows us. A number of months ago, Jake uh, mentioned Rosaria Butterfield and her book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Uh, this book is fantastic. If you haven't read it, I really encourage you to do so. Actually, have extra copies so that people in the church, you could read this. Now, her story is a story of, of opening up her life, her home, her faith to 
her neighbors. Uh, this has been impactful on me because I have read this and I've said, I want to live this out too. I see this in Jesus. How do I do that? And she's done this with a vulnerability and Christ-like mercy and grace and love. And it's for the sake of the other. Now, uh, I'm going to just share a bit of a, a passage from this uh, book. But it comes after a series of stories. And they're quite uh, beautiful, but quite tragic in so many ways. Uh, this neighbor whom they loved and befriended has ended up in jail and is, is an absolute mess. But uh, by the grace of God, he's become a Christian. It's a, it's a beautiful story, but it's tragic and painful. And they, they actually are separated from this dear person. And it's caused a huge problem in their neighborhood. And people are blaming them. And it's, it's a mess. But listen to what she says as she has opened up her home, her life, along with her family. She says this. The same power that raised Jesus from the grave, he has given to those who have committed their lives to him so that we can serve gospel peace and be a bridge to the Lord himself in this dark world. But there's much work to do. Mercy brings it all together. God's mercy poured out on the cross, emboldening us to keep the door of our homes open to others. Isn't that an encouragement? to open up our lives, our homes to others. So friends, in this small section that we've looked at in the Sermon on the Mount, we hear Jesus, who is the greatest preacher who has ever preached in this greatest sermon ever preached. And I hope you've experienced a bit of the mercy, grace, and love that underlies the heart of Christ, that speaks into our own broken and vengeful hearts those hearts that are bent to our own way of justice. May we experience this mercy, grace, and love in a transforming way. That we can have that mercy, grace, and love for the sake of the other by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to end on uh, this N.T. Wright uh, quote, which I quite like. Jesus offers a new sort of justice a creative healing, restorative justice. The old justice found in the Bible is designed to prevent revenge from running away with itself. Better to have no vengeance at all, but rather a creative way forward, reflecting the astonishingly patient love of God himself, who wants Israel to shine his light into the world so that all people will see that he is the one true God and that his deepest nature is overflowing love. Will you stand with me? as we respond. Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.